0: What do you want your life to look like? If your life is a work of art, then what's it illustrating? How is it beautiful? What attributes would make it beautiful to other people? Figure that out for yourself.
1: This is Audience of One, and I'm your host, Spencer Keir. This podcast is a venue for me to follow my curiosity through conversations with leading thinkers and builders. My guest today is Ben Wilson. Ben is the creator and host of How to Take Over the World, a podcast which analyzes the lives of some of the greatest people to ever live. He's also the founder of PodRamp and the producer of the My First Million podcast. Ben and I talk about the art of podcasting, lessons from the people he's covered, being addicted to your craft, power, and more. Please enjoy. What was it about audio as a medium and podcasting in particular that you felt pulled towards?
0: Initially, I don't know that I did feel pulled towards it. To be honest, it was more a function of serendipity. I was reading, the company I was working for got bought. And so I was out of a job and just kind of hanging around. And uh, I decided to read some biographies. And so I started, I picked up this Napoleon biography, got really fired up. And I was like, man, this is great. I wish I could capture this this feeling. And so I thought I'd make something out of it. And initially I didn't know what I was going to do whether that would be like YouTube or podcasting or a newsletter or a blog. But it so happened that my personal trainer that I had been working out with, his dad had worked in radio. I'm working out with my personal trainer one time and he goes, you have a really good voice. You should talk to my dad. So I go, I talk to his dad and his dad says, "Uh, you do have a good voice. I have all this old equipment. I'm retiring right now that I don't need. Do you want it? And I said, I mean, I guess, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I took it. So I had all this old audio equipment sitting around. And so when this happened, that I was reading this biography of Napoleon, I thought, oh, well, podcasting makes sense. I have this microphone. Why don't I record a podcast and see how that goes? People sometimes tell me I have a good voice. And so that's how I got into audio. But I was a huge podcast fan at the time as well. Um, it's just such a like personal medium. And maybe that's one thing that drew... It, to me, it really feels like you're having and developing a relationship with a person. I think that's one of the things that's special about podcasting.
1: You definitely do have a good voice. I'm feeling a little insecure as we're having this conversation. Right I now. feel
0: insecure about my voice, even though people tell me that. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: think, I think that's the way it is for everyone. Yeah. So obviously, you, you could have still uh, taken advantage of audio by going into video. And at the time you started, YouTube was like well-known, was popular. People were making a living off of it, maybe not like they are now um but it was extremely popular why did you choose not to go into to video was it just that you had the equipment it was there was kind of a a lower threshold to getting started with audio um or what was the thought process there
0: well I think there's two things one is I was not like a and still not really a YouTube fan I don't watch a lot of YouTube but I do listen to a lot of podcasts so I could kind of conceptualize how I would fit into the marketplace why people would want this thing Whereas the video side, I just didn't know or understand that. And that's why actually still people kind of push me to get into YouTube. And maybe at some point I will, but that's why I've been reluctant is I just don't think that you make as good of content when you're not a consumer. So, you know, I had the chance to hang out with Mr. Beast, which was very cool. But like this guy watches like an hour, an hour and a half of YouTube every night before he goes to bed. Right. Like, and I think part of that is he's consciously trying to keep up on the market and what's happening. But I also think he just really loves YouTube. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons he's so good at it. So I think when you're thinking about starting something like this, you can't get too caught up in analyzing the market. A lot of it just has to come from well, what do you love? Because if you're a consumer of that type of content, you're going to be much better at producing it than otherwise. Yeah. It sounds like you
1: uh, kind of lucked into podcasting as a result of having access to that equipment. Um, but the next step is figuring out what the hell do I even talk about? You said you got fired up by reading this biography about Napoleon. Um, but then choosing to build an entire show around talking about these individuals who take over the world is a completely different matter. Uh, why did you think that was the right topic for your show?
0: Well, the other thing that was happening at the time, you know, one of the things that really got me turned on to podcasting was the Tim Ferriss show. Mm-hmm. And so Same. I was listening to Tim Ferriss and for whatever reason, he just had a streak of like three or four episodes in a row that I was not interested in. And I was like, I thought to myself, man, did Tim exhaust everyone interesting? But you know, that I would be interested in hearing <laughs> from Of course, that was obviously not the case. Um, but it got me thinking, well, who do I wish that Tim Ferriss would interview? And, you know, he'd done a lot of the like really great people at that point that, that were super interesting. And so I thought, you know, I really wish I could hear Tim interview Caesar or Napoleon or Edison, like these really great figures from history. And so, um, that thought was also kind of going in my brain. And so as I had this other thought, it kind of combined. I thought, well, maybe I could be that person who could be like the Tim Ferriss of dead people essentially, <laughs> uh, reading their biographies and helping people understand like their lessons and strategies that they took away from stuff. So that's, and I kind of knew cause I wanted it so bad. I knew that there was kind of a market, like there's gotta be other people like me who would be interested in that. So that's why I thought it could be a whole show. To an outsider, the tagline
1: of how to take over the world reads like, uh, every episode is going to be about kind of Genghis Khan style Uh, you know, mass domination, but in fact, you're talking about maybe a little more nuanced ways of like taking over or affecting the world. Why did you think that was the right uh, title? And maybe how would you describe in a little bit more detail what the show is really about? So
0: I thought that was the right title because it forces you to have a reaction to it. The one thing I didn't want is for you to be able to ignore it. And so how to take over the world, I know it turns some people off, right? Because it's so in your face. And it sounds a certain way. It sounds maybe bro or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think people get a certain impression from it. But I would rather people feel one way or the other than it be called Leadership in Action. And you just see the title and your eyes glaze over. I think the title has been a, a help for me in that way. B- because at least, like, you have to notice it. And I think that's what a lot of people get wrong is it's better to be noticed than, uh, and, and have some negative reactions than to just not be noticed. So that's why I decided on, on that title. It was a two part question. What was the other part of the, Your question in a little bit more detail, how would you describe and
1: and I think you gave one sentence at the beginning, but what exactly the show is about and what you're trying to extract, uh, from these, these stories and these episodes.
0: Yeah. So it's about great leaders from history. And what I'm trying to extract is, um, you know, the tactics, the strategies, the work habits, everything that these people did in order to be successful so that you can learn from them. Um, I say great leaders from history. That goes all the way from like Steve Jobs, Thomas Edison, um, to Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great. And even into, I'll dig into some more niche figures that I find really interesting. So I did this guy, Laszlo Polgar, um, and his story is, he's an education re- researcher in Budapest, he's a Hungarian Jew. And based on his research, he thought, you know, I think I pretty much cracked the code for how to educate someone to be a genius. And so he drops out of his job and commits himself full-time to educating his daughters, he has three daughters, uh, to be chess geniuses. Chess is what he chooses. He really likes chess. And so he educates them, and they become three of the greatest women's chess champions of all time, including one of his daughters, Judith, is like the Michael Jordan of women's chess. Uh, in fact, she broke into like top 10 of men's chess. Uh, so, like, uh, so all three of his daughters become complete geniuses. And now that I have children, I was very interested in the story of, well, that's interesting. Well, what was, what was his strategy? You know, what is this technique that he used to educate them? He'd written a, a book called Raise a Genius. So I studied him a little bit and did an episode on him. So some more niche figures, but tying it all together, it's all just about uh, great leaders, people who have accomplished great things and what we can learn from them in order to accomplish great things ourselves. What are the one, two,
1: three most consistent qualities or habits uh, you found across all these figures. Um, and importantly, I think that I'll, I'll make this another two part question, importantly, that we can incorporate into our own lives, because I think uh, from the outside, looking at these figures, I'm, I'm not Thomas Edison, I'm not uh, Da Vinci, whoever, I'm just an average Joe looking to find, you know, a little extra efficiency or productivity in my life. Um, and so what are those more relatable qualities
0: that you think we can incorporate? Well, I think what's interesting from studying history is that there's certain people that you read about them and you think I am like that, or I'm not like that, if that makes sense. So reading about Da Vinci, I was, I I thought to myself, this person's an alien. I have nothing (laughs) in common with this person. This is an amazing story. I love it. And there's certain things that you can learn from your opposites, but I'm nothing like this guy. (laughs) And there's a lot that I... I just can't learn because we're so different. Whereas, you know, and this might seem odd because they're both creatives, but Walt Disney, I read about and I thought, oh, I am a lot like this person. I can understand this. I can relate a lot to this. Um, Maybe I could accomplish something similar to a person like this. And so I think that's why it's important to read widely is because you find people that you feel are kind of kindred spirits. And... That inspires you to think, you know, maybe I've felt like a pretty normal or pretty average person, but maybe I could accomplish more than I thought. And then there are other people that you're just awed by, and that's okay as well. Right. Um, What the top three things, I mean, I don't think they'll be surprising to anyone. The number one thing is focus, right? You know, there's this famous story Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are, I think they're on a boat, but they're hanging out. And They're having lunch or something like that. And I think it was Bill Gates' dad, but someone who's with them says, "Uh, I want to play a little game. Everyone take out a paper, take out a pen. I want you to write down so that you're not influencing each other. The one word of what has been most important for your success. And so they write it down. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett flip over their paper and they have both written the word focus. And Steve Jobs has that famous quote, focus is not about saying yes, it's about saying no. Um, and so that ability to really focus intensely to get that kind of tunnel vision until something is accomplished. I think that is, and that is probably the first and foremost thing that I would point to is they all have this very
1: important intense today focus. as well.
0: What was that? Increasingly important today as well. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. age yeah. of noise. Right. It's never been easier to be distracted. Um, the second thing I would say is speed. So I've recently, the most episode, recent episode I've been working on is about Horatio Nelson, who's an admiral for the British Navy. And it's interesting. He's he's really kind of a counterpart to Napoleon. N- Napoleon, uh, they're fighting in the same war at the same time. They didn't directly fight each other because Nelson is an admiral and Napoleon is, is a general, right? He's an artillery guy. But in many ways like they kind of were fighting each other it's really nelson who's the one who who beats napoleon because by completely destroying the french navy he's able to isolate france hamper their economy and that is ultimately kind of what leads to land victory in a lot of ways and it's interesting how similar they are like they are very very similar people horatio nelson and napoleon bonaparte and one of the things there's a quote from a contemporary about Nelson, and they say he acted quickly, he spoke quickly, he did everything quickly, and it's interesting to hear them note that about him. He did everything quickly. One of these things you see about Napoleon is uh, he has this quote. Uh, he says, "If you want to dine well, dine with Campazares. It's one of his, you know, guys that worked with him. If you want to dine poorly, dine with Lebrun." Okay, I think Lebrun is like German, so it's a little bit of a shot. You wanna dine well, dine with If You wanna dine poorly, dine with LeBron. If you wanna dine quickly, dine with me, because he was known for having dinner in like ten minutes, right? Just like mm-hmm. boom, 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 eat, kind of light eater, not too much, and then let's get out of here and let's get back to work. He liked to do everything quickly. And in with both Nelson and uh, Napoleon, one of the things they're known for is the enemy army. You know, they're marching towards each other. All of a sudden, the enemy army is going. Uh, they're only a day away? No, 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 that can't be right. They're about a week away. And the general kind of can't believe it and isn't fully ready for the battle by the time they arrive because they just, they go so quickly. I think that's something you see with Elon Musk uh, right now. I think he's not mm-hmm. doing everything well with his management of Twitter. But one of the things you see is if he has an idea, it's going to get implemented within a couple of weeks, which is amazing for a company of that size with that many users. Just so quick to implementation so i think that speed is the second thing i would point to and then the third look at that one for a second yeah go ahead
1: i think uh there are notable figures munger and buffett come to mind um that are maybe and maybe it depends on kind of like the elevation elevation at which you look at it um who are the antithesis of that. Like they they sit in their study, review documents, weeks, months, make very few decisions throughout the course of the year, are um, slow to process information. Uh, and and obviously these aren't hard and fast rules, but I'm curious how you would reconcile that or maybe uh, look
0: at it a little differently. I don't think you have to reconcile it at all. I actually think uh, Munger and Buffett do move extremely quickly. So, uh, one of the things that Buffett is known for is how quickly he gets deals done, right? Hmm. Um, which is he does very simple deals, you know, and he generally gets them done in, in like a week, you know, it's like, this is the split. This is what you want. Take it or leave it. But this is this is the offer. He gets them done really quickly. I think what you're referring, and I get what you're referring to, which is he takes this very patient, very long-term strategy, right? So He's not someone who's taking these big swings, big at bats and hoping for a big payoff in the next few years. This is someone who's had a good rate, a great rate, but not spectacular of return and has let it compound over decades. And mm-hmm. that's why he's so wealthy, not because he's had, you know, the greatest year on record. Um, so, but, but he does, he processes information quickly. He digests it quickly. You know, people talk about the way that he can read through a financial report and he just digests it so quickly. So Buffett and Munger do move extremely quickly. It's just that they're very patient and they're willing to sit there. And so they're just going. And I think that's the other thing about it is, and I think what you're getting at is for some of these generals, moving quickly means getting to the point of contact very quickly as well. But oh, sometimes with, with business and with investing, you don't get to the point of contact very quickly. So maybe you're like a Buffett and moving quickly means processing a lot of information, looking at a lot of deals, going through them very quickly. But that doesn't mean you get to the point of contact. That doesn't mean you actually make an investment. You might be very patient and need to sit on that and wait and wait and wait and only make, you know he, he makes at most a deal or two per year, right? So I think you always need to move quickly, but that might mean just iterating quickly. And from the outside, it's not going to look like you're necessarily moving Mm -hmm. quickly because all those iterations are happening internally. I like that. All right. I cut you off. Uh, The third one I was going to say, and this isn't necessarily mutually exclusive of the first two. I think they all kind of combine. But the third thing I would say is there's this great moment. I'm studying the life of Thomas Edison and he, uh, I'm reading about his early career, and he's a telegraph operator. And these guys, are these traveling telegraph operators, and they go from station to station in the Midwest and the U.S. And he, <laughs> he loves invent. He discovers that he can invent his own stuff. He comes up with a couple little minor things, and he's like, "This is awesome! I love inventing." And so, he gets in this habit where he comes home from his day job, of telegraph operator, and he sits down at his workbench and he starts inventing and he starts tinkering. And he invents and tinkers and builds stuff until he passes out at his workbench. Maybe if he's in a good mood, he might like take time to curl up under the desk. And then he wakes up, shakes out the cobwebs, goes straight to work, works the bare minimum, and comes back and rinses and repeats. People start to get worried about him. They're like, You look haggard, you're too skinny, you're not eating. Uh, your clothes are old and raggedy. You don't, you smell bad. You don't shower enough. Um, and I'm reading this and I realize, well, this person has an addiction. Like if this wasn't inventing, if this was a substance that he was using, if this was gambling, if it was a game, like if it was anything other than like something productive, people would call it for what it is. This is an addiction. This isn't healthy. And then once you take that mind frame you look through history and you realize, wow, all of these great leaders are addicted. They have addictive personalities. And so they get addicted to things that are productive. And that's what allows them to, to take off. I mean, you can see, I talked about the speed. You, you know, the way I like to think of it is I don't know if you've ever seen like a husky when they don't get to run, right? When they're, or like when they're getting ready to run and they're still being harnessed. And people think that uh, sometimes animal rights activists will be like, these huskies are being abused. You know, you're using them for our manual physical labor. But you look at these huskies and they tie them up. And for every second that they don't say much, they don't say go, these huskies are just whining. They're like, oh, come on, let me run, let me run, let me run. Like they just want to run so bad. And you could feel that same anxiety is what I would call it with, um, with someone like, well, like Nelson, who I'm studying right now, or Napoleon. Right, uh, Nelson has all these quotes. He gets in these horrible moods. He gets really depressed when there's no wars going on. And it's peacetime, and he just has to sit around in harbor. And he he writes home and he says, "I hate sitting around in harbor. I hate inaction. I hate not not fighting." And um, and the second he has the opportunity, he's like, "All right, let's go out. Let's let's engage with an enemy." You know, he has this this anxiety that, um, and it's like this addiction. You know, this like this person who can't get their fix. They need their fix. And so that's the third thing I would say is they, they all have this, this, this compulsion, this obsession, this addiction, even to, to what they do.
1: Find what you love and let it kill you. There, there's this moment in, uh, and and go ahead. Maybe you're going
0: to push back on that. No, 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 no. Well, a little bit just in that. I think that's, that's correct, but that's why I emphasize addiction rather than doing what you love is. I think that that phrasing trips people up sometimes. Because, too focused
1: on passion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because love can mean a lot of different things, right? Um, there's a good quote from a TV show, actually, called uh, Patriot. A very good show. It's about this, uh, this CIA agent working in Europe. Anyway. Um, but they're trying to track down this guy. And um, the, the one agent is talking to another. And he says, the way we find him is this. You are what you can't stop doing. And this is who this person is. And so he's going to keep going to certain places and doing certain things, even if he tries to stop because he's trying to break the habit and he's trying to break his routines in order to, to evade us. Like you are what you can't stop doing. And I think that's, that's true of, of this, of greatness as well. Um, and so I think sometimes people are like, oh, but I love XYZ. And it's true, like, love, passion has to be a part of it. But do you literally have a compulsion? Like, do you feel this, like, like can't stop? That is really the feeling you should be going for. Um, because sometimes, honestly, you know, these people are like a little bit tortured by, by what they do. Um, and so that's why I think maybe this sort of compulsion or addiction or obsession is a better way to think about it than passion or love. Um, I think that's just a, a slightly more accurate way of, of saying it.
1: There's this uh, scene in the the movie about Queen where Rami Malek's character uh, says something to the effect of um, "Life is the space between on stage performances," uh, and it's basically just like that's where he gets his high as being on stage in front of the crowd, the energy. And there's a reason to your point, he develops a substance. He, he develops a dependency on substances is because that's the only thing that can even come close to that feeling that he feels when, when on stage. Um, I'm curious if you feel this way about podcasting or some element of the process about podcasting. And if not, if there's something else in your life that, that you feel that way about.
0: Yes. So it's actually not podcasting. It's the research that goes into the podcasting. And I think that's an important point that not every element of your work is going to fall into uh, this obsession vortex, right? If you're doing it right, a big portion of what you do will, but there are always going to be other things that you have to do to support it. Things that you have to force yourself to do a little bit. And so for me, that's when it comes down to actually recording and talking. I like it like I don't mind it, but I don't get the same high from it that I get from reading and learning and soaking in information. so yeah, um, that is the element of it that i that I do feel obsessed with is 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 the reading and the research, and the rest of it I just I do.
1: I think it's the same for me the I think the space between or the conversion of the research into a well-formulated question. I think um, a lot of guests will will start out their response with, oh, that's a great question, just as a way to buy time. But there's been a few times where I can see it in their face, uh, this response that implies like, oh, that was a very good question. They haven't been asked that before. It cuts deep. I think that's the thing for me um, that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, so similar in the same vein there. What would you say are the... I think as, imp- as important as learning the positive qualities or characteristics about these individuals is learning the anti uh, or, or the negative qualities. Um, and I think these types of people who are inordinately great, um, you're, you're an MBA guy. I don't know if you grew up playing like NBA 2K, but yeah. I always think about building my player. Now you have, you have a choice about where to stack all of your points. I think some of these people just put 100 points on a particular thing, whether it's you know, power, to, power or intelligence or what have you, and they're lacking in other ways, and that's just kind of a natural trade-off that occurs. Um, but what would you say are those downsides that maybe we should look to
0: avoid if possible? Well, I think the biggest one is that there is no... There's no destination. If you love the process, which is what these people do, they're addicted to it, then there's no destination that's going to satisfy you, right? And so you see this most notably with probably the most, the two most famous examples are Caesar and his assassination and Napoleon and his downfall. And with Napoleon, you have something called the Peace of Amiens. And it's the British who were at war with him basically the whole time finally make peace with him. And he's master of like all of Europe. He's done this incredible thing and he won. He pulled it off. It's over. <laughs> like, he's got it all. And, he, you know, he does these little things. He occupies Switzerland, right? Puts it under military occupation. And it's like, that's a, that's a breach of the treaty. And just why would you do that? You, like, you know, you control all of Europe. Switzerland is kind of this long standing neutral power and, Whatever, it's going to be a little buffer zone. And so you're not going to put troops in Switzerland. That's part of the agreement, the peace of Amiens. But he goes and he puts troops in Switzerland. He's like He has to. He just like, he can't stop because mm-hmm. he loves the problem. He doesn't love being emperor of France. He loves becoming emperor of France, right? Mm-hmm. And he loves, he loves the fight. And so hubris is the classic downfall of a lot of these people. And I think in large part, it's not because they don't see what could happen. It's that they can't stop. They they really are addicted. So there's that. Then these people don't lead balanced lives. (laughs) You know, people ask me all the time, what can can we learn about work-life balance from some of these people? And I say, nothing. You can learn nothing. None of these people are balanced. Balanced? Are you kidding me? You don't, you, you know, you wouldn't want Michael Jordan as like, A neighbor you wouldn't want michael jordan to like (laughs) babysit your kids you know um this is like a normal well-adjusted person that's fine i think sometimes people um like that is a downside i think people make too much of it sometimes like okay Mm -hmm. would you rather michael jordan was a well-adjusted person and not michael jordan you know no like i'm glad we have these incredible specimens who As Steve Jobs put it, you know, he says that we are uh, like meteors who Mm -hmm. uh, burn across the sky and then flame out and that's it. But we get to shine for a a moment. I think that was even more true than he knew because that's true of everyone. Our lives are short, whatever. We get to appear, blaze across the sky for a little bit and then we're gone. But it's even more true of them, right? Because they literally do flame out, you know, they burn out and it's better that they exist and we get to kind of see this magic for for a moment than that they live these well-adjusted lives. So hubris, they can't stop and that eventually leads them into a place of of downfall And uh, and the fact that these people are often not happy and often don't live good, well-adjusted lives and have good family life or anything like that. What are the
1: to the best of your ability do you think you can um attribute the development of these individuals to different aspects of life obviously there's the nature uh some of these people are just born this way um but i think also and and a friend of mine henrik carlson did this piece on like the child the childhoods of exceptional people um and one thing, for example, is that they all grew up in this environment. Uh, two things that stood out to me. One is that they had this very impressi- impressive group of adults around them that they had exposure to. Uh, and two is that they had a lot of boredom in their life that kind of forced imagination and, and learning. Are there? Can you attribute um, these people's development to different areas in their life? Is there a consistent theme there or
0: is it not as uh, consistent as that? You know, it's interesting if you ask them, all of them are like intensely uninterested in their childhoods and everyone always wants to know this exactly what you want to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I haven't really figured out why that is, but you know, Steve Jobs, when you asked him, because a lot of people tried to make hay of the fact that he was adopted. And so, Hey, we you know, were, you trying to prove your, your birth parents wrong. And he was always just like, I don't know, guys, I didn't really think about it a lot, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. You know, again, I'm reading about Horatio Nelson and he wrote like a paragraph and a half on the first 19 years of his life. When he wrote his autobiography, it's just like, oh, I was born, I grew up, joined the Navy. Then I started kicking ass, you know, uh, he just like was, was uninterested in it. And this is like something you see over it's, it's almost comical, their inability to be introspective about, um, about their their childhoods, um, William Randolph Hearst. That was another recent one that I noticed. Uh, she just wasn't interested in talking about his childhood. Having said that, I I do see some similarities. Doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean nothing can be learned. So, for example, one of the things I found interesting is they often have complicated relationships with their fathers. Either their fathers were overbearing, or they found their fathers weak and kind of wanted to. Show them up. Show they weren't like their fathers. But over and over again, you find these just unbelievably doting mothers, right? That just love and spoil their 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 sons mostly, uh, but their children. Um, interestingly, sometimes with the women, you find the opposite. So, like with Catherine the Great, who was this great leader of Russia. Her mother actually was like pretty hard on her. Uh, but for the men, for whatever reason. Uh, And she had a better relationship with with her father, interestingly, but anyway, um, but with the men, you find that their, their mothers um, are just unbelievably doting and love them and spoil them and never tell them no. And they have these complicated relationships with, with their fathers. Um, And then another thing that I think is interesting about their backgrounds is they all on a certain level, if you want to be a great figure of history, you have to make your own way. You're kind of making history bend to your will. But there are limits to that. And so each of them are coming along at a time that facilitates their particular type of genius. So, Da Vinci is really interesting because, I mean, there's never been anything like Renaissance Florence. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a city of like 30,000 people. I mean, I live in a little suburb here that's like 100,000 people. <laughs> we're like, like more, I don't remember the exact numbers, but we're more than twice the size of Renaissance Florence. And yet at the same time, you're getting Michelangelo, you're getting Leonardo da Vinci, you're getting Donatello, you're getting Cesare Borgia, you're getting Amerigo Vespucci. You're getting like like 20 geniuses at the same time from a city of like 30, this would be a tiny suburb in today's day and age. And so you just have this flourishing, this time that really promotes the development of a certain type of, of genius. And so I think it's a little bit like surfing. You got to be a great surfer and on a certain level, you kind of have to shape the wave with the way that you, mm-hmm. you surf it. But at the same time, you can't make your own waves, right? And you got to find the wave to, to surf. Yeah, l- luck is, uh, or the environment which you were
1: unwittingly born into uh, was a factor I was really curious about. Um, I want to get back to some questions around Podcasting and audio, but uh a couple questions and kind of closing about the about your podcast in particular and the topic. Um there is obviously a theme that runs through all of these uh great individuals and through the title of your show that is power. Um and I'm wondering, I guess first, what what have you learned about the nature of power? Um and, and maybe more importantly, should we caution against or be weary of those who are trying to to capture
0: power exclusively for the sake of it? Power is freedom. And I think that's what some people don't realize. Like if in that, that it's true in both like a a motor, like a, a physics sense of the word as well as kind of philosophically. So if I have the power to deadlift a thousand pounds, then I am free to deadlift a thousand pounds, right? You could say that I also, like me actually who cannot deadlift a thousand pounds, I am free to do so. I'm not constrained. No one's keeping me from deadlifting a thousand pounds, but what, what functionally, what's the difference? I can't do it. Um, and that's one of the things that I have learned about power is that like power and freedom are essentially indistinguishable when you really get down to it. Power is the ability to do a thing as is freedom. And so I think when you think about it that way, freedom starts to make maybe more sense, um, especially the way people talked about freedom in the past and why it was necessary to, you know, war might be necessary for, for freedom. Um, power ambition like strength all these things equal equal freedom um that's one of the things that i've learned about the nature of power now in regard to your question of should we be wary of those who seek power there's this meme that goes around best illustrated by the saying power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely every modern story you read Uh, really lionizes those who turn down, who do not seek, who refuse power. There's another way to look at it. There's another meme, which is, you look at like Arthurian legend. Okay, go back to medieval times. You have the good king, the man who was born to be king, and who wants to rule. I actually think one of the worst things about the most recent uh, Lord of the Rings movies, which are generally great, but in the books, if you read them, Aragorn is in the books a person he wants to be king of uh of gondor like he's gunning for it he's aiming for it he's like i know i'm the rightful king i know i can be a good king i was born to be king i'm going to be king i want to be king and then he is a good king whereas in the movies he does the trope that we always see which is the angsty like oh i don't know if i'm born for i don't know if i could do this you know whatever Mm -hmm. i don't want to be king dad i want to I want to surf on the beach. I want to go backpack. You know, Aragorn wants to backpack across Europe in the, <laughs> in, instead of getting a real job in the most recent Lord of the Rings movies. Um, the problem with this is when you have this meme in your society, then only deviant people are going to seek power. <laughs> so what you end up with is what we have now, which is like a Congress full of deviant people, because we have told everyone that if you're a decent human being, you don't want power. So then the only people who end up with power are people who are not decent human beings. So I think right. um, I think we need to do away with this a little bit. And I would like to see more stories about people who accomplish great things and are good people who want power. And I'd love to see the return of this idea that you see anciently of like the worthy king who wants to be king. So that's how I see it.
1: What do you want your children to take away from one you pursuing uh, and the word addiction is now popping into my mind because of our earlier conversation, Um, your, your interest, your passion in podcasting. Um, What do you want them to learn from your pursuit of that? But then also as a result of the content of your show, like if they were listening to it, what would you want them to take away from it?
0: Yeah, I I hope. You know, there's this feeling of when you're doing something that you were not born to do, there's this feeling of resistance. Sometimes it's severe resistance when you're really bad at something. And sometimes it's mild resistance if you're like, okay at it. Right. Um, But then when you find the thing that you were born to do, it's like falling into a groove. There's just like this complete lack of resistance. That's kind of amazing. And so I hope my children find that, you know, I hope that they find that in their own life, whatever it might be. Um, I think some of my kids are like me and some of them are not. And so that's fine. Some, some of them will probably do something pretty similar to what I do and some of them will do other things and that's fine. I just they'll, they'll find whatever that is that, that doesn't lead to that resistance, that feels falling into the right thing, that feels natural, that feels like this sort of obsession. Um, and in terms of the content, you know, there are two ways I kind of think about it. When I do more of the sort of Steve Jobs types, I'm more looking at what can I really learn here in terms of how to organize my life and do the things I want to do more effectively and more efficiently. So I hope they learn from some of these strategies of just how to do what they want to do more effectively and just be better at it and be great. I hope, they, I hope they're great. I hope they aspire to be great. And I hope they are great. The other thing is sometimes I do some of these ancient figures because I want to raise the level of people's ambition. I want them to consider more possibilities of what's possible. I think a lot of things that have not been possible, I'll just be very concrete. A lot of these great conquerors and founders of like nations and states, that's, gone by the wayside you know there there's been nothing like that uh really since napoleon was the last one um you know you could point to hitler which is kind of a a dark inverse of that Mm -hmm. kind kind of character and that obviously didn't work out for him or for anyone else but i think we've been under the long pax americana the the America has been all-powerful and our military has been all-powerful and we've been able to sort of freeze the world in place really since 1944. But even Britain was doing the same thing before that. Um, So it's really been the whole 20th century and 21st century. um, This possibility of founding new things um, politically, new cities, new countries, new states has not been possible. And I think we're seeing some of the cracks in that system. And people get really excited about it on the financial side with things like crypto and Bitcoin and nothing's really happening on the geopolitical side yet. But I think in the next, certainly in the next 50 years, you'll start to see some of that. So, um, I don't know that that's actionable, but in whatever domain, I hope to raise the level of people's ambitions. If they're an artist, I hope they listen to some of these episodes and think, oh, I could not just be like a successful artist. I could be a Da Vinci. I could be truly great. I could create something that's transcendent that people for 500 years will marvel at. Or if they take it in a more enterprising and more industry direction, I could be a Walt Disney. You know, I could create a machine that produces these great stories on an industrial scale and spreads them to the whole world and creates these uh, phenomenal experiences. So whatever domain i hope to raise the level of people's ambitions and give them a different idea of what is possible to do in the world
1: i think especially within american culture and uh, american tech culture which we've both been a part of is maybe even a more like amplified or insane version of this there is this intense focus on ambition Um, which you can define it in a number of different ways, but it's like striving to be your best to reach your potential and maybe even pushing beyond that. Why is that the thing to strive for? Like what, why, uh, shouldn't we say like, uh, maybe not do the minimum in life, but do enough to be comfortable and, uh, and then just like live out your time and enjoy it. Why, why do we feel maybe most alive if that is what you're implying when we are, uh pointing ourselves to this thing that we'll never attain but is like in effect trying to maximize our our potential
0: i I actually think the vast majority of people would or should do the latter of what you said just live life and and be happy and be good and be chill and it's fine you know if you you know i i've talked a lot about addiction but like if you feel compelled to live another way, then uh, really like, there's not a lot I can say, you, say to you that's going to dissuade you. That's what I always find funny. Larry Miller is this, he's a businessman here in Utah. He like owns all the dealerships, all, all the movie theaters. Really successful. I think he made like a billion or $2. Um, did really well. And he wrote his autobiography. And at the end of it, he's like, my life wasn't good. I didn't see enough of my kids. Um, I should have been more balanced and I encourage you to find more balance. It's like, okay, that's kind of funny, but because the younger version of you (laughs) like reads that, right. Come on. You think they're, you think they're listening to that really? Like the people who listen to that are the people who are going to have balanced lives anyway, because that's their disposition. It's funny. Nietzsche talks about Shakespeare and he talks about Macbeth and Nietzsche says Macbeth is supposed to be a cautionary tale. And for those who don't know the story of Macbeth, Macbeth is this, um, ruler. He's like a minor ruler in Scotland, in medieval Scotland. Um, the real Macbeth is very different, but this is according to Shakespeare, his story. And he meets this witch and the, it's three witches actually. And these witches tell him that he's going to be King of Scotland and, um, that he's going to be immortal and no, no man born of woman will, will be able to kill him. And, um, and so it drives him insane because then he goes and he murders uh, the king of, of Scotland. And then he like is having, you know, seeing the king of Scotland, it literally, literally drives him insane. And in the end, he's overthrown and he's killed um, by this guy who it turns out was born by C-section. So he wasn't born of woman, right? So he's cut out of a, a, of a woman and that guy comes and kills him. And it's this tragic story of ambition gone wrong of this man who reached too far, wanted the, the thing too much. And Nietzsche says, you're kidding yourself if you think this is a cautionary tale. For the truly ambitious, anyone who's really ambitious, they read this, they find Macbeth to be a heroic figure and they, they want to follow him and be like him. And the tragedy of it and all this sort of horrible stuff that goes with it, Nietzsche refers to it as like the spice that makes it even more delicious to them. Right. Um, that makes it like even more interesting and intriguing. And I think there's something to that, um, that, uh, like, if you are, if you have that in you, you got, if you got that dog in you, Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing's going to stop you. Nothing I can say. And so look, if you are someone who's inclined towards living a happy, healthy, normal life, I don't think you should feel any shame in that. Um, I'm not trying to encourage you to be someone you're not. And similarly, though, I would say, if you are someone who's inclined towards ambition, towards accomplishing great things, I don't think you should feel any shame for that either and feel like you need to live a more balanced life because it's frankly not going to work for you. In fact, again, going back to Nietzsche, he talks about these people that are driven towards conquest and kind of have it in their blood and can't help it. When they can't conquer, they often become monastic peoples. So like, I think he views the, the Tibetans this way, like Tibetans are natural conquerors who couldn't conquer because they came up against a greater power. And so the only way they couldn't be like happy, normal, live cool lives. They had to like go up in the mountains and go 100% the other way and go to another extreme. Cause that's their temperament. And so I, I do feel that of like, if you are someone who's driven towards ambition, has this kind of personality, But for whatever reason like you it just drives you insane you're not happy then you need to go in the opposite direction you really do need to be the like get into zen buddhism give away all your possessions you know like um live a you gotta conquer conquer the inside yeah conquer the inside exactly exactly
1: where on that spectrum does uh how to take over the world and i mean you have pod ramp you have a number of things you're doing within podcasting uh where does that fall in terms of where you want to take it is it to this extreme degree where you want it to be the next disney or is it something more moderate and you want it to be you know a lifestyle business or just a creative
0: pursuit Uh, i'm somewhere in between i'm an ambitious person but i don't i don't have that julius caesar dog in me you know yeah um So I tend to think of myself more as on the ambitious side, but I certainly see a lot of people who are much more extreme than I am. And I I have come to peace with that on both accounts, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, that's something I'm still working through myself. Um, Well, I know we're at time. There's one question I ask uh, every listener or every guest in closing, which is what's one question you'd leave me and listeners with either to act on or think about?
0: Um, so I've been thinking a lot about purpose and what we're here for. And I talked a lot about Horatio Nelson. So I I want to tell a story really quickly before I get into the question. I've got time. Great quote. He says, life with disgrace is dreadful. A glorious death is to be envied. My greatest happiness is to serve my gracious King and country. And I'm envious only of glory. And, um, and he goes on to say that uh, death is a debt that we all must pay and whether it be now or a few years from now can be of little consequence. And so this guy is like insane. Uh, he just, so everyone he's famous for, if you know, Horatio Nelson, that he was missing an arm because it was shot off in battle, but he was also blind in one eye because, because of battle. He had a hernia in his side because again, hit in battle, um, He had, uh, he gets cut one time and it scrapes all the hair, all the skin off his head and two inches of his skull is exposed. Like this dude was just, he was always the first man overboard to go board an enemy's ship. He was always exposing himself to danger. And you hear him say there, a glorious death is to be envied. And so in the great triumphant battle of his life, it's called the Battle of Trafalgar. And this is the battle where it's the Spanish and French combined against the British and he completely destroys their fleet. And the strategy he comes up with is at the time, everyone would essentially line up in battle lines. So you have two parallel lines and they just fire cannons back and forth until someone loses their nerve and all their ships sail away. And he says, we're not doing that because we are going to annihilate their Navy. And so what we're going to do is we are going to form two perpendicular lines and we're gonna charge straight at them and we are going to bisect their line And then carve them up into three pieces and surround them and just destroy them. And so he um, puts himself in the, he puts his ship at the front of one of the lines. And he uh, stands on the quarter deck, on top deck, overseeing the battle. And before that, his captains are like, hey, you should put yourself further back in the line. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the first ship in the line. And they say, okay, well, you should go below decks. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand on deck. They say, okay, please just do this one thing for us. Take off your jacket. You're the most decorated, you know, admiral in, uh, in naval history. You've got all these gold medals all over your jacket. It's, it's literally noon in the summer off the coast of Spain. It's hot. And like everyone, you're, you're like shining like everyone in every in the whole fleet can see you you're like a sitting target and he says i think it's a little late for taking off of jackets and besides which like if i take off my jacket they don't see me but my men don't see me like my men don't know that i am the one who won't go below decks who um who's going to like my men should know that i bear every risk that they bear and and more And so, um, one of his captains, you know, they have this final meeting to finalize strategy and his name's Blackwood. And he says, um, good luck, sir. I expect, you know, in, in four hours time, I will see you, um, the, the winner of a glorious victory and in charge of 20 prizes. You will have captured 20 friendships. And he says, goodbye, Blackwood. I'll never speak to you again. And so he knows, he knows he's basically committing suicide. And so they go in, and sure enough, within the first hour of the battle, he's shot through. Like, of course, right? And, uh, and so he, he says, they, they got me finally. They take him below decks. And uh, you know, the, the last thing he says is, uh, thank God I have done my duty. And then he dies. And so this man cared so little. And, and, and by the way, they win the battle. It's the most glorious victory of in naval history, right? They completely destroy the French Spanish. His plan works perfectly. And it's, it's this incredible victory. And he dies in like, it's exactly what he wanted. A glorious death is to be envied. And he dies like the most glorious death you could possibly die. And as I thought about it, and as I studied his life, I kind of came to this realization that he almost viewed his life as a work of art right? You think about what your purpose is. Is your purpose to be happy? Well, you're certainly not trying to maximize his happiness, not by letting his arm get shot off and his eye blinded and shot and scraped up and damaged and then dead in his mid forties. Um, so he wasn't trying to be happy, which is what most people think of as their purpose in life. Uh, was he trying to do the maximum good, you know, like, um, like these effective altruists, you know, no, there's no evidence that he ever thought of his way, his life that way, but he just really loved and held up and found beautiful. These people who'd come before him, these great naval heroes. And he wanted to be like that. And so he thought of his life as a work of art and the perfect way to finish that work of art was with this beautiful death in this glorious victory. And you don't have to go get yourself killed, but I think the question I would leave everyone with is, um, what do you want your life to look like? Like if your life is a work of art, then what's it illustrating? What, how is it beautiful? In what ways, what characteristics, what attributes make it, would make it beautiful to other people? And so figure that out for yourself, how you can make your life beautiful, how you can make your, yourself a living work of art. Beautiful.
1: And I don't even think you need to record that episode anymore. I think we just had it right here. Uh, you're, I can tell like your passion for this topic and it's inspiring. Um, awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time um would love to have you back on in the future there's still so much i want to talk about about this topic but then also about podcasting as well uh which we just briefly got to um
0: but thank you it's been fun good questions thanks for having me on i appreciate it spencer